KJ Green welcoming you to another edition of Sports in the Hoodwood for January 7th, 2023. Coming up in this New Year edition, I got a lot to cover. I'm not kidding. We got to talk about the CFP. What a crazy semifinal round. Thoughts on Demar Hamlin. A CFP prediction. NFL Week 18. A lot going on in the final week. We got all these picks to cover. Also, Hoodwood Hot 5. Topic, I'm gonna be all over the place with this one. Fat dab head slap, and final word from Wood on the great collect. It's all coming up at you. Sports with Hoodwood, New Year, same old crazy stuff. As your seatbelt, put on your crash helmet, and let's go. Love to Demar Hamlin. Get well soon, bruh. Man, what an injury! And we hope that his health comes back to somewhat normal. Not really worried about him playing. Just making sure he's okay. I'm your man KJ Green, welcoming you back to the Hoodwood. And leading off the story that everybody's been talking about pretty much since Monday evening: the devastating injury from uh, Bill Safety. DeMar Hamlin, after absorbing a, a shoulder hit from uh, Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins, which, and I'm going to say this now before I get into anything that happened with Hamlin, anyone who is saying anything about T. Higgins doing a football play, and this was a freak accident, and it was an accident, anyone who's trying to put any blame on T. Higgins needs to be taken out back and slapped, period. No other way of putting it. It was a football play with no malice or malicious intent. And for those who are trying to put off some sort of blame on this young man, a fine young man that is, in T. Higgins, really needs to check their position. Seriously. But let's get back into the topic of DeMar Hamlin and this whole jumbled mess that this situation has basically touched off. And I'm not saying anything about DeMar Hamlin. What happened, as I stressed before, was an accident. He needs to worry about getting back to being a normal functioning person in light of what it's called, what it was called, I read this here, Commodio Cortis, which basically was a heart arrhythmia. Basically, a freak accident, the blow, his body absorbing the blow, almost directly at his heart, and it basically shocked it. A one in a trillion chance of the right hit at the right time, or I should say wrong hit at the wrong time, setting off a chain reaction and the frightening scene of Hamlin collapsing on the field. I mean, I was sitting on the couch watching the game. I was typing up some stuff for the show, 
And, like, I had the game on in the background. I have no dog in the fight. I mean, even though the Hoodwood is north of Cincinnati, I'm not, like, openly rooting for either team. I just want to see a good game between two powerhouse teams. And when Hamlin went down, and I, like a lot of people initially, thought it was just some sort of injury, a concussion, or something like that, a weird, just a weird blow. But then to watch him fall, I'll be honest, it frightened me. It really frightened me. And it, it harkened back to a very scary scene some 30 years earlier when Luella Marymount's Hank Gathers collapsed on the court. And he had a heart condition, but he wasn't taking his meds. And eventually, his heart just basically conked out on him. And he passed away in March of 1990. This was a result of a collision. One, I mean, these the bodies of these NFL players have never been stronger, never been faster, and the collisions are a lot more heavier and frightening. It just happened to be that hit was at the right, like I said, a wrong place at the wrong time, and everything just went haywire. Fortunately, and I say fortunately. The Bills trainers, the Bengals medical staff got together and did some amazing work to keep that young man alive. I mean, many people are saying that the quick actions by the Buffalo training staff, assisted by the Bengals training staff, and getting the ambulance and getting him there, getting CPR in such a timely manner, likely saved that young man's life. He could have literally died on that field. And the Bengals and the Bills, for their part, they were shook. And rightfully so. Seeing something like that really takes you out of any kind of mental space to play the game. And I think them stepping back and saying, you know what? We're not going to play tonight. I think it was the right thing to do. The refs at first initially said, okay... All this is done. We'll give you five minutes to warm back up. And the the teams as a whole, as a collective whole, stepped back and was like, nah, cuz, we ain't playing tonight. We're done. And it was the right thing to do because had those players went back out on the field not knowing what was happening because as this show was being taped on uh, Thursday, January 5th, now, Hamlin is better. He's not fully recovered by any stretch of the imagination. He's still intubated. He's still under the very excellent care of the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. But he is moving extremities. He's awake, alert, knowing what's going on. But that was three days. This has been three days since that hit. Those players, if they had went on the, back on the field... I can almost guarantee you there would have been more injuries because those players would not have been mentally right. They would have not been in any kind of game shape mentally to play that game. And that was risky injuries. The teams did the right thing by walking off the field and basically putting their collective heads together and saying, we're not going to play tonight. If we restart the game, oh well. If they postpone the game, they don't play the game, Oh well, we'll live with the, with the decision. And I like the sentiment that Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow said 
that they were behind the bills 100%. Whatever they chose to do, they would follow their lead. I like that sentiment. I like that unity from the players. I mean, and they always have spoken about being a football, being, being in football, and especially being in the NFL, it's a brotherhood. And they showed that on Monday night, and they have continually shown that all the way around. And the city of Cincinnati, like I said, not far from where, I, where the Hoodwood is, has basically embraced not only uh, uh, DeMar Hamlin and his family, but the Bills, the Bills Mafia, and basically said, look, we're with you. We're going to take care of this kid. We are going to do the best we can to look out for him and look out for y'all. And I thought it was a absolutely beautiful scene where many players who had many people had been at the the uh, the Bills Bengals game, going up to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center and holding a candlelight vigil. And you didn't see Bills fans. You didn't see Bengals fans. You saw people concerned about their brother man, concerned about a young man that they may not have even known, but. They were rooting for him. And a lot of people, and I'll, I'll speak about it in the Fat Dap Head Slap as well a little bit later in the show. They have rallied behind this young man and have basically embraced him. You would think he was one of their own. Yeah, I thought it was a good scene. I thought it was a, it was a very touching scene. And hopefully, as Snuffy said, Hoodwood sends its love. Get well soon, Damar. It doesn't matter if you go back to playing or not, which I'm pretty sure he probably won't. But it is good to see that he is getting better and making, as the as the reports have come out, that he is making good progress. And the Hoodwood salutes him. He's a Hoodwood hometown hero. Now, Let's get away from the kind of the heavy subject we've been covering the last the last couple of minutes, and let's is what what I'm gonna launch my the dog's gonna launch his own NFT cards. Oh, I don't understand this dog sometimes. I've, I'm all about the Hoodwood hustle, but that is getting a little bit ridiculous. Anyway, let's look at the CFP semifinal games, which in a word, was bonkers. The way TCU and Michigan were scoring points like they were going out of style. TCU jumping out to a big league. Michigan fighting back. There were scooping scores, pick sixes. It was an absolute nutty game. But TCU took the fight to Michigan. Led all the way. Even though Michigan did close it to a couple of points and there were some questionable hits here and there that you're kind of wondering... I don't know. For a game that started at 11 o'clock uh, Arizona time, I'm telling you, people were just absolutely breathless by the time that game was over. 51-45 TCU, they advanced to the national championship. And you wonder, did Jim Harbaugh not have his team properly prepared for this game? Did they take this game against TCU for granted, thinking that they could just roll over the Horned Frogs, who, as a Big 12 team, one of the rare times you've ever seen a Big 12 team in the national semifinals, 
you, you have to wonder, did Michigan take TCU too light and it came back to bite them? And then by the time they tried to fight back into the game, it was too late. And you have the other semifinal, Georgia, Ohio State. Now, this was considered the main event. Georgia, the SEC champs, Ohio State, I wouldn't say just happy to be there, got the 11th hour reprieve as the four seed. And people thought, well, maybe Ohio State might just have a chance to beat Georgia, even though the game was in, in, in Atlanta. Even though you have Georgia, who hasn't lost a, a, a regular season game in close to two years, and their only loss was in the SEC championship to Alabama last year. Georgia's a juggernaut. Ohio State, while good in its own right, many people thought they were the plucky underdog. Ohio State taking the fight to Georgia. It's a game you expected. Big plays. Great plays on both sides of the ball. Both Georgia and Ohio State slugging it out at the Mercedes-Benz uh, Mercedes Stadium in Atlanta. State takes a big lead. They take a 10-point lead. Now, I'm watching the game with friends, and I'm saying when Georgia was trailing 38-35 and Ohio State had the ball, Ohio State had the ball inside the 10, I said, if the Bucks score, game over. It's a wrap. Because I didn't think Georgia would have enough time to come back from a 10-point deficit. If they kicked a field goal, sounding like uh, the one guy in uh, Coming to America, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh, Georgia would have just enough time to get down the field. Georgia's defense makes a stand. Ohio State kicks a field goal and goes up six. Stetson Bennett did work. And that last drive, if that boy hasn't proved that he is NFL worthy, I don't know what has. Driving the dogs down the field in front of, in face of a, 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 a withering, withering Ohio State defense. Throws a touchdown pass with just under over a minute to go. But you're leaving the Bucks time. C.J. Stroud is a grown man. Let me tell you. And you're waiting for Ohio State. They had the last move. You figured the game would seen everything but an ending. Ah, Ohio State driving down the field. Now, here's where it gets tricky. C.J. Stroud runs for on a 20-yard. On a it, was it wasn't a design scramble, but he scrambled. The field opens up. All the... All the uh, Ohio State receivers run deep, leaves a big pocket area for, for Stroud to run into. He picks up about 19 yards. Ohio State is just inside of field goal range. It's about a 50-yarder. It made absolutely no sense for Ryan Day to have Stroud throw the ball. The first one nearly got picked off. It got tipped around, and that ball hung in the air, and you could just see... All the Ohio State players and fans going, no. But the ball does fall harmlessly to the turf. On on second on third down, Stroud goes back, throws the ball, it gets pressured, throws the ball away. To me, that those two plays, those two plays was what cost Ohio State that game. Because had Ohio State ran the ball, 
which they were doing a pretty decent job at running the ball. Run the ball in the middle. Run the ball as a counter toward the middle. Protect the ball. And push yourself a little closer to make a better, a better angle at the field goal. Because at this point, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to win the game with a field goal. But they threw the ball. When you're running the ball, you're forcing Georgia to burn timeouts. You're burning clock, and you're forcing Georgia to have to use their timeouts. So so if the field goal is good, Georgia has no time and no timeouts to get back down the field for an equalizer. It's checkmate. But they throw the ball. And Ohio State's kicker is forced to kick a 50-yarder at an odd angle because they were on the left hash mark. Kick a 50-yarder at an odd angle to win the game. And he missed it badly. And I feel bad for the kid because, you know, a 50-yarder under that kind of pressure ain't easy to make. And people say, well, I bet you they was kicking his ass to the locker room. I want to see somebody, any of y'all pundits, try to kick a 50-yard field goal in normal conditions. Just line it up and kick it. Nobody rushing you. Put it on a tee. You wouldn't make it. Don't no, Stop lying. You wouldn't make it. To try that kick with the magnitude and gravity of the game, with 75,000 people screaming at you. Remember, this game was in Georgia. A lot of people down there were rooting for Georgia. To try to make that kick, damn near impossible. And Higgins tried, and I pat him on the back for at least giving it a good try. He missed it. But it was not the kicker's fault that Ohio State lost that game. Ryan Day should be held accountable for missing for that team, Georgia, coming back. Blowing a 10-point lead twice. Letting their defense get shredded in the last, uh, in the last part of the game. Georgia and, Te- and Texas Christian will face off in the national championship. Let's take a look at it. And then there were two. Texas Christian, 13-1, ranked number three. Georgia, defending national champions, 14-0. They are number one. They go head up at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, 7.30 on Monday night. Game's going to be on ESPN. Georgia is 13.5 point favorites. Now, as we described before, Texas Christian outgunned Michigan 51-45. Well, Georgia edge Ohio State. 42-41. Looking at the game, SEC champ, Georgia, the defending national champs. And you have plucky underdog Texas Christian, the first Big 12 team to make it to the CFP title game. Both teams survived wild shootouts to get here. And the, the Horn Frogs were getting a reprieve. Just getting into the to the CFP because remember they lost the Big 12 championship to Kansas State. Dogs rallied from 11 down to beat the Bucks, who the clock literally struck midnight on the missed kick hit at exactly midnight. The Horn Frogs behind swashbuckling Max Dugan have reason to believe that they could pull the upset, shock the world, especially after beating Michigan. But if Kendrick Miller, their highly underrated running back, 
scored 17 touchdowns this season is a no-go. They're in trouble. Because without a running back, a respectable running back, to keep the Georgia defense honest, the dogs are going to do nothing but pin their ears back and go full tilt at Duggan. And I don't think, even with his ability to run and his ability to scramble, that he could hold up under a withering Georgia rush. Now, the offense, of course, being led by Stetson Bennett, who's been in, like he's been in college for 50 years. But you look at Georgia, they have a lot of good pieces on offense, a lot of underrated players. But they can score points. That offense can and will score points. But it's their defense. Georgia's defense is going to be the key. If Max Duggan has trouble with that Georgia defense, it's going to be a long night in Cali. If he's able to stand up and deliver the ball as he's been wont to do, TCU could push Georgia. Do I think that TCU can win? No. I think TCU, while being a good feel-good story, does not have the horses to stay with Georgia. Trust me, I've seen teams try to stay with Georgia. My beloved Bearcats, a couple of years ago, was in a slugfest in the Peach Bowl. They went down late. Georgia finds a way. Ask Bama. Ask Ohio State. TCU is going to be just another stepping stone on what could be considered a mini dynasty. Back-to-back national titles for the dogs. The Hoodwood pick is Georgia. Let's take a timeout. Come back. NFL Week 18 is <laughs> on, baby. Because a lot of bit, a lot of stakes for top seeding, division titles. A lot of things are going to be going down this week for the CODA, the penultimate week of the NFL regular season. Sportsman Wood comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's premier destination for no-nonsense commentary, thorough analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. Now here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact checks, your host, KJ Green. Okay, cue up old Kenny Loggins' song, This Is It. 13 teams, they've already made their travel plans and golf course reservations as they know it. This will be their last game, win or lose. Now, for 11 teams, they already know that this season will go on for at least one or two more weeks as they have locked up playoff spots. Still, there are a lot riding on these games. For the other eight teams left, there are four teams basically fighting essentially for two spots in the playoffs. One is a divisional title. The other is a wild card spot. Now, I'll list the playoff possibilities as they come up in each one of the picks. 
with each game. Now, this is the best time of the year in football. With many high-stakes games, NFL's moved uh, two of the games to Saturday uh, for ABC and ESPN in lieu of them not having a Monday night game. And there are flex games already. Green Bay and Detroit has been designated as the last game of the season. And they'll be playing equally on NBC at 820. We'll list that later. Once again, for your review, perusal approval, here are the final full week slate of regular season games and prognostications of the same. Odds are being provided by ESPN for comparison and, par- comparison and entertainment purposes only. 18 weeks in, if I got to explain to you why, you don't really need to know. You can just go ahead and lose your money, but don't come to me. Let's start out with the games on Saturday, January 7th. First game on the Dockers, 13-3 Chiefs at the 6-10 Raiders at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. 4.30 kickoff on ABC and ESPN. The Chiefs are 9.5 point favorites. Last week, the Chiefs defeated the Broncos 27-24, while the Raiders lost to the 49ers 37-34 in overtime. Uh, the only slight imp- playoff implications here, the can the Chiefs can lock up the top spot with a win. The Raiders have already been eliminated. Now, the Chiefs are looking to lock up the number one seed, but must be the hated rival on the road to do so. I have knocked the Raiders all season, rightfully so, but I will give them props as they deserve it, as a dangerous foe at the end of the season. The Chiefs have more or less dawdled around here and there in games that don't hold their interest. Hopefully that tendency won't come back to bite them. But I think Mahomes and company will do just enough to get a win. The pick is Kansas City. Next on the docket, we have the 7-9 Titans at the 8-8 Jaguars at TIAA Bankfield in Jacksonville. 8-15 kickoff on ABC and ESPN. The Jaguars are 6.5 point favorites. Last week, the Titans lost to the Cowboys 27-13, while the Jaguars defeated the Texans 31-3. Playoff implications are pretty clear here. The winner of this game clinches the AFC South title, number four seed, and hosts the wild card game next week. How are the Titans still in this? Somebody please tell me. They have dropped six straight to plummet from a contender to an also-ran, but here they are still with a shot. Now they face a surging Jags team that have won five of six, four straight, and have thumped the Titans in their own crib on the way three weeks ago, exercised some demons by breaking a nine-game skid against the Texans last week with a no-doubt route in Houston. I have doubted the Jags many a time this season. I have gone on the record saying that I wasn't going to pick them anymore. But this time, the Jags are at home and are clearly the better team on both sides of the ball. And with the Titans still uncertain about their quarterback situation, as we tape here, Joshua Dobbs will get the starting nine. It lines up almost too good for the Jags. But I'll close my eyes and pray that the moment doesn't get too big for them with a division title in sight and almost in grasp. I think they cash in the opportunity and clinch in front of a happy home crowd. The pick is Jacksonville. Let's turn to the Sunday game, shall we? This is a both Fox and CBS doubleheader, so it'll be all-day football on both networks. First game on the docket is 8-8 Buccaneers taking on the 6-10 Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Falcons are 6-point favorites, 6.5-point favorites. That is not a misprint. I checked that three times. I'm like, wait a minute. The, 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 the Falcons are, are favored? Does that make sense? You know what? I'll even check it again just to be safe. 
I pop on this, and I look at this, and I see that, yes, the Falcons, I I will stand corrected. They are favored, but right now, as, it, as we tape, and I'll change it on the screen, <laughs> the Falcons are four-point favorites in this game as we tape this show. Last week, the Buccaneers defeated the Panthers 30-24, to while the Falcons defeated the Cardinals 20-19. to There are no playoff implications in this game. Tampa has clinched the NFC South and is locked into the four-seed, hosting a wild-card round game next week. The Bucks. Scoring points? Winning? Are you serious? Yeah, break up the Bucks. The Bucks scored 30 points, fueled by a 20-point fourth quarter, to rally to beat the Panthers and finally lock down the NFC South. Now, for aesthetic purposes, it would look a whole lot better if the Bucks knocked off the Falcons and finished with a winning record, but you can't be sure if the Bucks will rest players ahead of an anticipated matchup with either the Pokes or the Eagles next week. I'm going to guess that the Bucs will play just good enough to finish with a winning record. The pick here is Tampa Bay. Next on the docket, we have the 8-8 eight eight Patriots. Taking on the 12-3 Bills at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Bills are 7.5 point favorites. Last week, the Patriots defeated the Dolphins 23-21 while the Bills-Bengals game was postponed. Now, the playoff implications are that uh, the Patriots will clinch a playoff berth with a win and a Dolphins loss. And this is a game that's going to be really tough to pick. You can't be totally sure if the Bills are going to be mentally in it after a very trying week, if they will be ready to come out and play a game with these serious implications. Now, I'm going to roll the dice again and say the Bills will come out strong for their hurt teammate and take the fight to the Pats, who are hanging on to the slimmest of playoff hopes. The pick here is Buffalo. Next on the docket, we have the 12-4 Vikings taking on the 3-13 Bears at Soldier Field in Chicago. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Vikings are 7.5-point favorites. Last week, the Vikings lost to the Packers 41-17, while the Bears lost to the Lions 41-10. Now, the playoff implications here is the Vikings clinching number 2 seed with a win and 49ers lost. The Bears have long since been eliminated from playoff contention. Both teams coming in off of awful losses on the road, to be sure, but the Vikings looking forward to the postseason, while the Bears are just looking forward to being it all over with. The Bears going with Dreaming Nate Peterman at quarterback. Is he still in this league? Nate Peterman? Good Lord. Which is pretty much akin to waving the surrender flag on any kind of competitiveness. Look for the Vikings to bounce back strong, get right for the playoffs. Picks Minnesota. That is the hood woodlock of the week. Next on the docket, we have the 10-6 Ravens taking on the 11-4 Bengals at Pickard Stadium in Cincinnati. 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Bengals are seven-point favorites. Last week, the Ravens lost to the Steelers 16-13 while the Bengals-Bills game was suspended. Now, the playoff implications are still a little murky. At the time of this taping, they still had not decided if they were going to call the Bengals-Bills game a no contest or reschedule the game. If they call the game a no contest, the Bengals have already clinched being uh, part of the AFC North and will host the playoff game next week. If the game is still going to be determined if it's going to be played, if the Bengals beat the uh, Ravens, they win the AFC North. The winner of basically the winner of the game will win the AFC North. Now, as I'm right as I'm taping this, I am assuming that the Bengals have clinched the AFC North. So we'll go with that. That the Ravens will be hella salty after more or less being told they have no shot at winning the AFC North 
with the game being declared a uh, no contest tie, even if they beat the Bengals for the second time. That said, I don't think that they can do that anyway. Like solid quarterback will hurt the Ravens as Tyler Huntley, while serviceable, is not Lamar Jackson. And he will struggle at times racking up points, which is not a good formula against a Bengals offense that is humming under the stewardship of Joe Burrow and have won seven in a row. I think the Bengals continue to roll and may be facing this team again in a week or less. The pick is Cincinnati. Next on the docket, we have the 213-1 Texans taking on the 411-1 Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. One o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Colts are two and a half point favorites. Last week, the Texans lost to the Jaguars 31-3, while the Colts lost to the Giants 38-10. No playoff implications. Both teams have long since been eliminated from playoff contention. These are two teams that just wanted to all be over. I said that I didn't think the Colts would win another game. I'm sticking by that prediction. Even against the sorry Texans, the pick is Houston. Next on the docket, we have the 7-9 Jets taking on the 8-8 Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Dolphins are 2.5 point favorites. Last week, the Jets lost to the Seahawks 23-6, while the Dolphins lost to the Patriots 23-21. Playoff implications here, the Jets have already been eliminated from playoff contention. The Dolphins need to win or the Patriots lose to clinch the number seven seed. The Jets' once promising season has collapsed under the weight of a virtually non-existent offense. They hit South Beach to face the Dolphins team that, despite a stunning fade, still has a shot to make the postseason. But it's anyone's guess who will be a quarterback with Tua Tagovailoa no-go and uh, Teddy Bridgewater a serious question mark with a bum pinky could Mike Glennon Is he still in this league? Might Glennon be the Finn's saving grace to get them in the playoffs? Stranger things have happened. The pick is Miami. Let's take a timeout. That was the rest of the 1 o'clock games, as well as all the late games and the primetime game for this week 18. Sports and Hood will continue after this. Your New Year's resolution for 2023 is to follow and the real DJ Dream on Facebook and Instagram. And have an outstanding new year.
you're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood, and let's continue with Week 18 NFL Picks. Next on the docket are the 6-10 and 10 Panthers taking on the 7-9 Saints at Caesars Superdome, New Orleans, 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Saints are 3.5-point favorites. Last week, the Panthers lost to the Buccaneers 30-24, to while the Saints defeated the Eagles 20-10. to There are no playoff implications in this game. Both teams have been eliminated from contention. The Panthers shot a winning week at NFC South, crumbled when the Bucks hung 20 on them in the fourth and pulled away from a tight game. They, like the Saints, are playing out the string. Home team is in good spirits after winning a slug-it-out game in Philly and should finish strong. The pick is New Orleans. Next on the docket, we have the 7-9 Browns taking on the 8-8 eight eight Steelers at Acrisure Stadium in Pittsburgh. 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. Note, I finally got the name of the pronunciation of the stadium right. It's Acrisure. <laughs> the Steelers are three-point favorites last week. The Browns defeated the Commanders 24-10, while the Steelers defeated the Ravens 16-13. Playoff implications of this game, the Browns have already been eliminated from playoff contention. Steelers need to win and get losses from both New England and Miami to claim the number seven slot. Now, give the Browns some credit for still playing teams tough down the stretch. They head to the Steel City to face a despised old rival who's still holding on to a glimmer of hope that they can crash postseason party. Now, that said, the Steelers need a whole lot to go right for them to do it. As much as I would like to say the Browns wrecked that dream before it starts with soul-crushing upset win, I know better. The Steelers will eke out a win to continue their streak of non-losing seasons under Mike Tomlin, but will miss the playoffs. The pick is Pittsburgh. Turning to the late games, we have the 10-6 Chargers taking on the 4-12 Broncos at Empower Field. In Mile High in Denver, 425 kickoff on CBS. The Chargers are three-point favorites. Last week, the Chargers defeated the Rams 31-10, while the Broncos lost to the Chiefs 27-24. Now, the Chargers have clinched the playoff spot. They will be either the five or six seed. The Broncos have been eliminated from postseason in September. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean that. Russell Wilson, don't, don't, don't kill me for saying that. So, no, actually, the Broncos have been eliminated long ago from playoff contention. Now, at present, the Chargers own the tiebreaker over Baltimore for the number five seed with a better conference record. If they can beat the Broncos, who played surprisingly tough in a tight loss to the Chiefs last week, they will head to Jacksonville as opposed to Cincinnati. I think the Chargers lay it to the Broncos, who, despite their solid defense, is just worn out from the whole thing. The pick here is the Los Angeles Chargers. Next on the docket, we have the 9-6-1 Giants taking on the 13-3 Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. 425 kickoff on CBS. The Eagles are 14-point favorites. Last week, the Giants defeated the Colts 31-10, while the Eagles lost to the Saints 20-10. Now, the playoff implications here, the Giants are locked in for the number six seed, while the Eagles will win the NFC East and the number one seed with a win. Now, the G-Men stopped a precipitous slide and punched their playoff ticket all at once with a rousing home finale win over the Colts. Now, they may be resting players as they have locked themselves into the number six seed. Now, the Eagles are trying to hold off the hard-charging pokes for the NFC title and the number one seed that seemed like such a foregone conclusion a month ago. Now, with or without Jalen Hurts, I think the Eagles finally lock it down. The pick is Philadelphia. Next on the docket, we have the 12-4 Cowboys taking on the 7-8-1 Commanders at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland. 
425 kickoff on Fox. The Cowboys are seven-point favorites. Last week, the Cowboys defeated the Titans 27-13, while the Commanders lost to the Browns 24-10. Now, the playoff implications here, the Washington, uh, Washington has already been eliminated from playoff contention, while Dallas wins the NFC East with a win and a Philadelphia loss. And they have a possible number one seed with a Philadelphia and San Francisco loss. Now, the folks barreling down the stretch hard and hoping to get one more break, just one more break, to catch the Eagles. Now, they have to beat the slumping commanders whose coach wasn't even aware that they were eliminated after a lackluster showing against the Browns last week. I doubt that they're really going to put up much resistance against the Pokes, but Dallas has to fight the urge to scoreboard watch lest they might get tripped up. The pick is Dallas. Next on the docket, we have the 4-12 Cardinals taking on the 12-4 49ers at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. 425 kickoff on Fox. The 49ers are 14-point favorites. Last week, the Cardinals lost to the Falcons 20-19, while the 49ers defeated the Raiders 37-34 in overtime. Playoff implications here, the Cardinals have long since been eliminated from playoff contention, while the 49ers can clinch a number two seed with a win. Now, the Cards played tough, but was still on the wrong end of another close one. They will be headed to the Bay to face a Niners team that hasn't lost in over two months. Game plain and simple won't be pretty, though the Niners will likely rule rest a lot of players ahead of their home playoff game next week. The pick here is San Francisco. Next on the docket, we have the 5-11 Rams taking on the 8-8 eight eight Seahawks at Lumen Field in Seattle. 425 kickoff on Fox. The Seahawks are six-point favorites. Last week, the Rams lost to the Chargers 31-10, while the Seahawks defeated the Jets 23-6. Playoff implications, the Rams have been eliminated long since being eliminated. The Seahawks win the number 7 seed with a win and Green Bay lost. Now, the Rams followed up their Christmas Day route with a home finale pratfall against the playoff-bound Chargers. They look to play spoiler against the Seattle team that needs the win and help to get a playoff berth. Now, the Seahawks found the mojo, or relocated their mojo, in a solid win over the Jets last week, and it looked look like there could be a lot of trouble for a playoff team if they get in. I think the Seahawks do their part and get the win and very well get the help they need to get in the pick is Seattle. Finally, we have the 8-8 eight eight Lions taking on the 8-8 eight eight Packers at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. This is the Sunday night finale, 8-20 kickoff on NBC. The Packers are four-and-a-half-point favorites. Last week, the Packers defeated the Vikings 41-17, while the Lions defeated the Bears 41-10. Playoff implications are pretty clear here. The Packers clinched a playoff spot with a win. Lions clinched a playoff spot with a win and a Seattle loss. Now, the Packers carry themselves like they know it's a foregone conclusion. They are so used to coming into big games on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field and getting the win that they need, especially uh, their usual pushover opponent in the Lions. But wait, these ain't the usual Motor City Kitties. Their offense has been white hot under Jared Goff, and their defense has played solid. Packers think that their thrashing of an otherwise disinterested Vikings team makes them the team to beat. But that win covered a lot of flaws. The Lions are just as flawed a team, but they are a lot better than people want to admit. I think the Lions play this like a playoff game regardless of the stakes. And though they may very well be eliminated by the time the game kicks off, they will ruin the supposed playoff coordination that the Packers think that they are destined to have. The pick, the last pick of the regular season, is Detroit. 
It is the Hoodwood Upset of the Week. And there you have it. Last week's tally. 10-5-1. I will not count back the Bengals-Bills game win or loss. I will count that as a tie. We'll just look at it that way. Locked and upset were correct. Overall, 145, 9.3, 13-4 on locks. 10-7 upsets. I have guaranteed myself winning records on both sides. Let's take a timeout. Our final timeout of the day. Back with the Hoodwood Hot Five. Fat Dappy Head Slap. As well as the final word from the Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience for your advertising dollar, look no further than where you are right now. You can advertise right here in the Hoodwood. If you need spots created as well, Black Banner Productions Enterprises can create commercial content that drives sales and gets results. You can send your inquiries to ads at blackbannerproductions.com. Black Banner Productions and Enterprises. Sounds, ideas, and images of the 21st century. absolutely no sense to me a 90 team ncaa tournament are you kidding me the ncaa has put a proposal up to expand its men's uh, basketball tournament from 68 to 90 teams in within the next three to five years me myself i'm going to just say one thing new, no bleeping way you are messing up the essence of the tournament. The tournament as it stands now is perfect. Three weekends. You count the, 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 the first four. Team has to win seven games to get to the turn to win the tournament. Most other teams have to win six. But still, you have three weekends. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The next weekend, third the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then you have the championship. 
Saturday and Monday. Every college team wants to get to that final Monday. And you're going to ruin it by putting an extra weekend of games in. Where are you going to put these games at? You're going to put another round in? Have buys now? Stupidity. Leave well enough alone. This is nothing but a cash grab by the NCAA. They're trying to make as much money, squeeze as much money out of that, out of that TV contract as they can. More games, more money. That's all it is. It's a cash grab. Don't do it. A second item on the Hoodwood Hot 5 is Rafael Devers getting a $331 million extension from the Boston Red Sox. Now, you think that the Boston Red Sox have lost J.D. Martinez. They lost Xander Bogart. They lost Mookie Betts. All of the core of their powerful lineup was hitting the, hitting the bricks, going out the door in free agency. Even though Mookie Betts, they traded, but they didn't get a lot on that. It was a poor, poor trade. Back to New Corner. They're going to have, if they didn't sign Rafael Devers, their, their core four was core gone. And Devers knew that. He knew he could ask for a lot of money, especially with the kind of money that cats like Carlos Correa is getting. Especially with money that cats like uh, 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 Bri- Bri- Brock, Bryce Harper is getting. Devers knew this is is a, is a, is a high end market, and owners can't help themselves. They have to throw that crazy money at players now. The money's getting insane. Three hundred thirty one million dollars over ten years is he worth it? <laughs> you figure it out. Our third topic in Hoodwood Hot Five is a question: Is Jim Harbaugh going to jump back to the pros after the CFP debacle? Now. Jim Harbaugh is a well-traveled coach. Coached in the uh, in college at first at Stanford, then jumps to the four, San Francisco 49ers, coached there, then jumps back to his alma mater, Michigan. There have been increasing, growing criticism of Harbaugh's coaching style. His team, many people consider the Wolverines this year's addition to be his best team. Undefeated, Rolls through the Big Ten, smashes Ohio State, eviscerates Purdue, an overmatch Purdue in the Big Ten championship game, and is a no doubt number two team going into the national semifinals against a team that you figured that they could beat in TCU. We've already detailed this earlier, what happened, but Michigan came, comes up short in the CFP for the second straight year. Now the whispers and rumors are going on as if Jim Harbaugh might be looking at the pros. Carolina, Denver. There's going to be a couple other pro jobs that are going to come open here uh, come Black Monday, next Monday. Will Jim Harbaugh jump to one of those pro, pro jobs? I think he will. Because I think he's done all he can do at Michigan. He's not, he, his window of opportunity closed. With the two years that he's been able to, 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 to beat his nemesis in Ohio State, they've won back-to-back Big Ten titles, but they have utterly failed 
in the CFP. They haven't even gotten to a title game. Does Jim Harbaugh need to strike while the iron's hot and jump? I think he should. Our fourth topic in the Hoodwood Hot Five is college basketball. It isn't a good time to be a top two, two team. UConn getting ambushed by Xavier at the Centos Center, and the game wasn't close. And you already know how I feel about Danny Hurley. I can't stand him. And I and you're never going to see me root for Xavier, even though I kind of got their colors on today. But this is Scott High School. This isn't Xavier. But anyway, the only time you might see me root for Xavier is when they're playing UConn and those criminals coached by Danny Hurley, who I can't stand, who does nothing but but whine and bicker and chirp at the refs. And he got teed up. Almost got ran out of the game, too. But Xavier played the perfect game, knocking off the second-ranked UConn. And they were th- and they were talking a lot about, we should be the number one team, we should be the number one team. But they got knocked off by Xavier. So, the number one team, Purdue, they figured, well, the coast is clear, right? Wrong! A little team from Piscataway, New Jersey, that wants to talk to you by the name of Rutgers. They go into the Mackey Center. Knock off the boilers at home. It was, it was a last second shot, but still, end of the day, Rutgers got the win. So now number one loses, number two loses. Who will send to the number one? Oh no. <laughs> oh no. And I'm always talking about criminals and talking about UConn's a bunch of criminals and such so forth. That means the Houston Cougars will likely be the number one team. Kelvin Sampson, whom I can't stand, and those uh, damned Houston Cougars with one loss will be the number one team come next Sunday. Shame. I just don't like it. And finally, our final topic in the Hoodwood Hot Five is did I write the Nets off too soon? I was so convinced that Kyrie and Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons were going to implode, especially after the firing of Steve Nash. But suddenly, the Nets have decided have ascended quickly. They didn't hire Ime uh, uh, Udoka, but instead are just a half game behind Boston for the best record in the East. I know it's still just January. But the Nets are looking like a formidable foe. Finally! Did I write them off too soon? Maybe I did. But I still don't trust Ben Simmons, not in any kind of big game. And I'm waiting for Kyrie Irving to go off on his own. Kevin Durant is going to be Kevin Durant. As long as he stays healthy, they're going to be a viable team in the East. Did I write the team off too soon? Maybe I did. That's the Hoodwood Hot Five. What's yours? Let's turn to the Fat Dap and Head Slap of the Week. The Fat Dap, of course, go to those who donated to Damar Hamlin's GoFundMe page who blew it up from $2,900 to over six million dollars in a little less than two days now when i'm taping this segment it's third it's wednesday evening uh about uh, about 48 hours since his injury 
his GoFundMe page, like I said, at $2,900 Monday. The, the, the last current taping, I see it at $6.5 million. Just when you think there's no hope for humanity, people will fool you good. Now, on the head slap, I have a pair of them. First, for the handful of idiots at Paycor Stadium, and you know who I'm talking about, that were booing when the announcement was made to postpone the Monday night game. I understand it was a big game. I understand it was a lot of people who paid a lot of money for those tickets. But a man nearly died on that field Monday night and was rushed to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And in light of that and the players, that their minds weren't on that game. Their minds was on their fallen brother. To boo that and because they decided they didn't want to play, to boo that is lower than love. Shame on you. Shame on you. And then a second head slap goes to Skip Bayless, the uh, loquacious wonk of, uh, was it outspoken or speak up or whatever, whatever the Fox show is with Shannon Sharp. And Shannon Sharp didn't show up for work on Tuesday because of these ill-timed tweets that Bayless made. Now, he made a set of them, made three of them regarding Hamlin's injury. And taken together, you can kind of understand what the point he was trying to make. But the third one saying, or oh, are they going to play, but how, blah, blah, blah. Nobody was caring about the game. Nobody cared about that game that night. Once that man was laying on the field and people were trying to administer CPR to him, nobody cared about the game. Nobody cared about if it was going to be played, when it was going to be played, who was going to play. Nobody gave a shit about it. And Skip Bayless, who then doubled down on Wednesday when called out about it by his co-host from the show Undisputed, doubled down about it. I thought Shannon Sharp was going to go across that table and hit him. And it might have probably been well-deserved. The head slap of the very already brief year Head slap of the year goes to Skip Bayless, who is just tone deaf and clueless. And now, without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. On October 1st, 1977, soccer icon Pelé took his final bow on a soccer pitch, playing for the NASL forerunner of MLS's New York Cosmos. His final game was an international friendly against his boyhood team, Santos. He actually played for both sides. The first half for Santos and the second half for the Cosmos. Pelé scored the winning goal. And after the game was over, his love, love, love speech was an iconic coda to the legend who played so brilliantly on the pitch for close, to tw- for close to 20 years. Myself, I was a five-year-old hellion in Mrs. Moser's kindergarten class. I knew nothing about soccer, but for some reason I did understand that this man, this icon, was truly something special. Now, of course, my attention, my short attention span went to another New York icon, the icon classic Reggie Jackson, who would slug a dramatic trio of homers to help the Yankees defeat the Dodgers and win the 77 series. And I knew he was the next special thing. But unlike Pelé, 
Reggie Jackson will come back and play, but to my dismay, not right away. <laughs> a fall and a winter waiting for a hero to come back can be lengthy wait for any five-year-old, but I was dismayed that I would never see Pelé play again. He had retired, and I never really comprehended how artistic and beautiful his game was. Grady footage does no justice to the, to the legend, and though age, his legend as New York Cosmo was breathtaking still, but it did not show the full greatness of his play. Now, Pele also went on to become a worldwide icon after his playing days, just sitting around the globe to promote humanitarian causes, good sportsmanship, and most of all, soccer. There are a few symbols greater than the number 10 on the pitch. More often than not, the best player on the team will wear number 10, or many wear number 9, feeling they fall just uh, one short of the legendary status. Snuffy says the best. Oh, my Lord. The greatest. That's how you say it in Portuguese. And I may have fractured it. My apologies. But there is very few people who were as celebrated, as revered as the man was. And you would think with the kind of iconic status that he had, that he could be snobby. That he could be, you know, I'm better than you type. But he remained to his dying day. Humble, thankful, generous with his time, generous with his thought, and people always appreciated him. I was, I guess about 17 or 18, he made an appearance at a sporting goods store at a mall not too far from the Hoodwood, and the place was packed. But Pele was there for a, for a small amount of time, signing autographs, taking pictures, and 12 years after his retirement, still an icon. 20 years after his retirement, still an icon. 30, 40 years after his retirement, still an icon. Without Pele, there is no Maradona. Without Pele, there is no Cristiano Ronaldo. Without Pele, there's no Beckham. There's no Mbappe. There's no Leo Messi. Pele laid the game, laid the groundwork for the beautiful game. His artistic showmanship and grace on the pitch was matched by a few, if any. His smile, style, grace off the pitch was, was rarely matched by any. Pele is playing, playing the beautiful game in the clouds now. Um, he will be missed. His style, his grace, matched by none. And that is the final word from the wood. Now, with the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the Hoodwood is just about done. And I thank you so much for your visit again this week. Now, the show's email is kjgreen at sportsinthehoodwood.com. Please send me emails regarding show topics, questions, comments on the show, and both praise and criticism. I welcome your correspondence, and I'll try to get back to you in the most expeditious manner. The show's website is sportsfromthehoodwood.com, which has a back catalog of the show, both audio and video forms, running back 10 years. You can check out the Sports from the Hoodwood page on Facebook, which has a video podcast simulcast, as well as other topics, funny stuff, and lots more. Video versions, of course, on YouTube. Hit the subscribe, smash that like button for more great content. Now, the link to this podcast is also on the show's Twitter feed, which is at 
Woodwood Sports. It also has a bunch of other interesting stuff. Tweet the show, we do tweet back. So like and follow there as well. Audio version is on Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iMusic, other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwood is not on your favorite, ask for it. I'll do my best to get it on that platform as quickly as possible. Special thanks as always go to Rage Pictures for their production assistance to the show. That's it, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time in the Hoodwood, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green. 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production. 